Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Have you ever had a craving for something to eat, say, at your favorite restaurant, but after you go there, you're told that they're out? Maybe, let's say, you've wanted chocolate ice cream, but you ain't in line and the server says they only have vanilla. Well, what do you do? If you're anything like me, you settle for vanilla. Now, vanilla is not my favorite, but you know what? Ice cream is ice cream. I can settle. What happens when God's people fail to worship him properly? Well, we might think it's not God's will, true, but we might wonder, so what's God going to do? Will he settle? Well, that's sort of the question in front of us for our next installment in our studies in Malachi. After a prologue of sorts in which God affirms his love and protection for Israel, Malachi addresses several problems in this small community of Yehud where Israel was living. The first and longest unit is directed towards the priests and goes from 1-6 to 2-9. Now, the second half of this unit, which starts in 2-1, we're going to discuss later in, in another episode, and that concerns the fate that awaits these priests. Uh, but in this unit here in chapter 1, Malachi spells out the problem uh, in verses 6 to 11, and then in verses 12 to 14, it's like he takes a few steps back and then repeats the same argument that he's just spelled out. Each unit parallels the other and has the same basic overall progression and argumentation. It goes like this. The priests are despising God because they allow for improper sacrifices. And so what's the consequence? Well, in both sections, God has no pleasure in this so-called worship in the Jerusalem temple. And then he contrasts this with the worship that he receives or will receive among the nations. Now, in our previous episode, we considered the first half of this argumentation, that priests despise God by allowing for improper sacrifices. In this episode, we'll consider the second half, the consequences of inadequate worship. After Malachi spells out the seriousness of their current worship, he goes on to say that God would, well, rather have nothing than this. God refuses to settle for second best. And to get them to see that God will not accept their offerings, he asks the rhetorical question, bring it to your governor. Will he take pleasure in you or it? Will he lift up your face? Now, this imperative, bring it to your governor, is clearly sarcastic. It's, it's worth noticing that this parallels what we read next. Bring it to your governor parallels the command, soften by caressing the face of God so that he will be gracious to us. And will he take pleasure in you or lift up your face? Then parallels with this in your hand, will he lift up your face, says the Lord. Both of these are sarcastic requests, like go ahead and bring that kind of offering and see how that turns out for you. The English Standard Version has entreat the favor of God, but my overly literal translation has softened by caressing the face of God in an attempt to bring out the repeated imagery of faces. To lift up the face is a common Hebrew idiom for acceptance. But Malachi plays on this by sarcastically charging them to let's go ahead and try to soften by caressing the face of God. Uh, that's the way the standard dictionary, the Hebrew and Aramaic lexicon of the Old Testament, uh, defines the Hebrew word here. So you can imagine it this way. Imagine someone angry with a stern, harsh look on their face, and then somebody else comes up and just strokes their face and maybe pats them on the cheek and says, cheer up. 
or we might use the English idiom, loosen up. It's like the worshiper sees God is angry and has the audacity to come with the sick and the lame offering in his hand and pat God on the face and say, take it easy, big guy, settle down. Obviously, that's not going to work. In fact, until you're going to take this issue seriously and start worshiping correctly, then it would be better if you just didn't come to God and worship at all. As verse 10 says, it would be better for someone to just shut the doors because the fire that is kindled is done so in vain, or in other words, for nothing or to no profit. So it would be better to just stop rather than carry on with this masquerade of worship, which is only an insult to God. In fact, the mention here of who will shut the doors very well may allude to Second Chronicles 28, 24. There we're told that evil Ahaz, the king of Judah, uh, quote, gathered together the utensils of the house of God and cut in pieces the utensils of the house of God. He shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. In every city of Judah, he made high places to make offerings to other gods, provoking to anger the Lord, the God of his ancestors, end quote. So this illusion would really put the priests in a negative light. It would be like God here is saying, your half-hearted worship is so bad, I wish we could just go back to the days of evil King Ahaz. You know, some people operate under the delusion that God is happy to just get what he can, like an old grandfather who's eager to get a phone call from his grandkids once a month, whenever people happen to think to check in on him. But, you know, that's not the impression you get from reading the prophets. No, says the Lord, if you're not going to actually worship me, then just don't start. Malachi here continues a theme that really runs throughout all of the 12. For example, Micah 6, 6 to 8 famously states, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That quote there in Micah talks about the importance of not only bringing the right offering, but making sure that your heart is where it ought to be and that we are, that our worship is coupled with right action, here particularly justice. Now, I have to be honest, I lack the prophetic insight that Malachi had, so I just can't speak with the same level of certainty that he did. Uh, but with this text in mind and others that are similar to it, we can easily imagine God looking at the thousands of churches across our country, across the world, and saying, you know, I wish someone would just shut you up, close the doors, and I wish you would all just go home. Uh, don't give me the leftovers. Okay, so from what we've seen so far, God is not willing to accept this lukewarm worship, and instead he will spew it out of his mouth. But this doesn't mean that God will just have to go home hungry, leave with nothing, and not get the worship that he deserves. No, God is too great for that. In both the first round of argumentation and the second, so in verses 11 and 14, God reminds the people that this is not the final state of affairs, and it speaks of worldwide worship. Verse 11 states, From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place, Incense will be brought to my name and a pure gift. 
because my name will be great among the nations. Now in that translation, which I just read, you'll notice that I use the future tense. In every place, incense will be brought. My name will be great among the nations. The difficulty though is that we have to supply the verb and thus a verb tense in the Hebrew, which actually doesn't have uh, the tense here. So this has been done in any number of ways, depending on the translation in front of you. Uh, I'd like to take a few minutes and just run through some options that we have, and I'll end with the option that I think is the likeliest. One, we could supply here a present tense verb. So my name is great among the nations. In every place, incense is brought to my name and a pure gift. If this is the reading, then we could think of God's acceptance of the then current pagan religion around him. And some actually have taken this approach. The Hebrew scholar S.R. Driver states, quote, the heathen in his blindness bows down to wood and stone and that his worship is worship of the Lord simply because it is worship in sincerity, though not in truth, end quote. The difficulty with this and why this line of thinking should be rejected is because it's out of line with the rest of the prophetic witness. This just isn't how worship is seen in Judaism uh, or in the Hebrew Bible or even the Bible as a whole. It's out of sync with Malachi itself, which so focuses on the importance of the covenant and the temple and God's destruction of at least some of the Gentile nations. Remember that whole bit that we read earlier, Esau have I hated. Moving along, Catholic interpreters have seen this as referring to the Mass. This is the sacrifice which is offered to God all throughout the world. But this can hardly be what Malachi had in mind by incense and a pure offering. Some have taken this as a then-current description of the Jewish dispersion. Worshippers of Yahweh were offering acceptably to God elsewhere, though it wasn't happening at the temple. So God is not completely left without worship. The difficulty with this view is that it struggles with the rising of the sun to its setting, which stresses the universality of worship. Sure, there were some Jewish people scattered throughout uh, that were truly worshiping God. We can envision that easily enough. But this wouldn't have been widespread enough to warrant being called worldwide. Others have supplied the present tense is, but in a hypothetical or sarcastic way. Uh, the idea here would be, what you guys are doing is so bad that I'd rather have the pagan worship that's happening all around than what's going on in the temple. Now, we've already seen that Malachi has uh, a tendency for biting sarcasm, so this is possible. However, there's one more option which I think is preferable. Uh, Joyce Baldwin, in her commentary on Malachi, observes that the phrase, from the rising to the setting of the sun, occurs, quote, in contexts which look towards an eschatological demonstration of the Lord's person to the whole inhabited earth, end quote. So, for example, in Isaiah 59, 19 to 20, we read, So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun, for he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives, and a Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. So recall that because there is no verb, it is entirely possible to take this as a future prophecy. Though we usually read about end times worship happening in Jerusalem, there are other passages where this happens throughout the entire world. So the idea here in Malachi is that God is not getting the worship he deserves from Israel, and so he turns to the Gentiles. 
as far as how this is fulfilled, we have a pattern in the New Testament of taking end times prophecies about the Gentiles worshiping God and saying this is happening within the church. But ultimately, its truest and greatest fulfillment will happen when all the nations will worship God in the spirit and in truth and with our whole heart when the Messiah rules over the world. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.